They make something in insurance. That's what's in Wausau. I can't know what they did in that city. Yeah, they make money there in Wausau. Uh, Dick and Marianne Krenz. Uh, Dick is the pastor of the Conservative Baptist Church there in Wausau. And he has a video extension uh, center in his church from the seminary. He said he just uh, listened to me preach three times this week. And uh, that said several things to me. It said how he evaluates this class as preaching. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, he, you have in your class, uh, I think, a dentist in the class and uh, an engineer. And uh, Tell us just a word, Dick, about your own enthusiasm about that class. Do you want me to stand up? You can, you can stand or sit or just do whatever you like. We Preachers can't sit and talk, so. <laughs> First, uh, they make something in insurance. That's what's in Wausau. I can't know what they did in that city. Yeah, they make money there in Wausau. Uh, Dick and Marianne Krenz. Uh, Dick is the pastor of the Conservative Baptist Church there in Wausau. And he has a video extension uh, center in his church from the seminary. He said he just uh, listened to me preach three times this week. And uh, that said several things to me. It said how he evaluates this class as preaching. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, he, you have in your class, uh, I think, a dentist in the class and uh, an engineer and uh, tell us just a word, Dick, about your own enthusiasm about that class. Do you want me to stand up? You can, you can stand or sit or just do whatever you like. We Preachers are, can't sit and talk. So. <laughs> First, uh, we are an independent Baptist church. I have to apologize to you conservative Baptists about that. We're not with the CBA. It's Emmanuel Baptist Church. and I They make something in insurance. That's what's in Wausau. I can't know what they did in that city. Yeah, they make money there in Wausau. Uh, Dick and Marianne Krenz. Uh, Dick is the pastor of the Conservative Baptist Church there in Wausau. And he has a video extension uh, center in his church from the seminary. He said he just uh, listened to me preach three times this week. And uh, that said several things to me. It said how he evaluates this class as preaching. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, he, you have in your class, uh, I think, a dentist in the class and uh, an engineer. And uh, Tell us just a word, Dick, about your own enthusiasm about that class. Do you want me to stand up? You can, you can stand or sit or just do whatever you like. We Preachers can't sit and talk. So. <laughs> First, uh, we are an independent Baptist church. I have to apologize to you conservative Baptists about that. We're not with the CBA. It's Emmanuel Baptist Church, and I've been there 13 years. Uh, it's a great place to serve the Lord. But uh, we've, we really feel that uh, the last two years of having the satellite seminary courses for our church is somewhat of a backbone for some of our men. It's just tremendous. Uh, I always felt one of the most important things I ever studied in training for the minister was hermeneutics. And I didn't go to a seminary, I went to a Bible college, Northwestern Bible College. And Dr. J. Edwin Hartle was a teacher at that time. And I look back on the past, and that's been one of the greatest benefits for my life in, in learning to understand and teach the Word of God. 
And so when I saw that being taught and offered to our church, that was my real incentive for getting this. Hmm. And uh, our people love these courses. Uh, we have six to ten people each time. We've had it for about two years, about four different courses. Right now we're completing soteriology. And sometimes we like to stand up and argue with Dr. Rademacher. <laughs> he won't talk back to us, but we, we call and have some conference calls. And that has been really special for the church. And just one word of advice, don't fall asleep. Because the camera gets on you once in a while, we see someone there slumped over. <laughs> Be very careful about it. <laughs> we really feel a part of this. It's really good for us. And we're thankful for the privilege. I've known Dr. Rodman for, for 20 years. Yeah, that's 1967, right. I think, is when we met. And From uh, Middleton Baptist in, uh, in uh, Wisconsin. What's the city? Madison, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. And then we, first we were at a conference at... Um, Phoenix in 1967 during that six-day war. Do you remember that? Is that right? That's where we had our first encounter. All right. But we've really appreciated your ministry to us. Thank we're you. thankful to you. Oh, we're glad you're visiting here. They're going to have a vacation at Cannon Beach this week, all the way from Wisconsin. All right. Today we're going to come to uh, the second advent of Christ. And uh, before I do that, there are two things I want to do. One, I want to give you a few minutes to ask questions about the previous uh, couple of lectures on the judgment seat of Christ and the results of that, because I promised you at the end of last hour we would have a question and answer time, and because of the long-winded teacher, we didn't get to that. It seems like I never get to it when I say at the end, so one way to do it is put it at the beginning, and I'll be sure to get to it. So be thinking about that here in a minute. And then I want to... in. Uh, Preparation for thinking about the second coming of Christ. <clears throat> I would like us to sing, and uh, maybe you can think about what I'd like us to sing. Uh, the last verse of How Great Thou Art. Uh, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. Think we can do it? All right, good. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. And take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Another thing that shall happen then, we shall all be able to sing well. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the contemplation of the return of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
when he shall come with the saints in power and glory and to rule and to reign on this earth. We praise you for your majesty, for your greatness in our lives, for your sovereign power. And Lord, as we think again today, not about speculations, but about truths concerning the future, may they not only inform us, but may they change us as we think about them. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> what are questions that you have from the last hour or two on the judgment seat of Christ and the results of that? Yes, right. Sir, you said that uh, we will receive positions of service uh, as a result of our good works in this life. Would you point me to a scripture that talks about exactly positions of service as being our reward? Those, that phraseology, Greg, would never be used. Positions of service. What you have to do is say, what does Christ mean when he says, we shall receive garments of our righteousnesses? What does he mean when he says, we shall receive crowns, crown of glory, crown of life, incorruptible crown, etc.? Uh, you have to get behind the figurative literal statement to the meaning, the literal meaning of that. Or what does he mean when he says, uh, by way of stewardship, I gave to this one a talent, to this one a talent, to this one a talent, this one made ten, this one made five, this one didn't do anything with it. To this one I will give uh, responsibility over ten cities, this one over five. He obviously is seeking to transfer us from where we are to that situation then. But it's, uh, it's virtually, Im well, not impossible, but it's very difficult for us to think uh, from where we are to what life will be like then. So what I'm doing then is pulling together all of that and saying that uh, there will be uh, distinctions, that's obvious. Uh, how will these distinctions be manifested? I take it they will be manifested not only in service, differences in service, but they will be manifested in differences of capacity uh, in our fellowship with the Lord. Is that, uh, I cannot give you a specific verse any more than I could give you a specific verse on the Trinity. I'd have, to, I'd have to pull together a systematic theology, which is what I've sought to do on the judgment seat of Christ. Ken? About five years ago, I heard you give a message, and I think the title was, um, Why We Should Work for Rewards, and it was on the Bema Seat Judgment. And after that message, I went and talked to a few people on the topic of, of gaining rewards. And one argument that I heard to respond to, how can that be, was they said, well, the Mormons teach that there's going to be different levels in heaven or different, there isn't going to be equality. How can you, how can you hold that position when they hold that? Now, how would you explain to someone who has that as an uh, argument against what you're saying? Well, for one thing, every cult has an element of truth in it. Uh, they would never get a hearing if they didn't. Uh, cults are really things that start with some verse of Scripture, some truth of Scripture, and then they build 
a compromising system on that. And what the Mormon is talking about in rewards uh, is really what we're talking about in the doctrine of justification. Uh, and you must carefully distinguish between Christ's garment of righteousness and our garments, plural, of our righteousnesses. Uh, where I go will be entirely dependent upon who I know. When I get there, it will be determined what kind of existence I shall have by what I have done in this life. Uh, so, uh, getting to heaven is clearly spelled out in the Word of God as not a matter of our works. That is solely a matter of His grace. Uh, what I do there is a matter of my works. Now, oftentimes, in order to confront the Mormon heresy and make clear that justification is by faith apart from the works of the law, we go overboard and almost make it seem that God doesn't care how we live. And it doesn't make any difference between one Christian and another as to how they have lived as to what they will do in heaven. And that just doesn't fit the rest of the scripture. So, yes, I would say that uh, the Mormons at least have caught hold of a truth of diversity in the eternal state, but they've got a whole wrong basis for it. Tim was, and then I'll come over here, Brian. Um, I heard you last week um, making very, very sharp distinctions between what maybe I'm wrong in interpreting, but between justification and sanctification, taking a very dispensational view of justification in that uh, you made the distinction between, you said that gra um, it's grace apart from works completely, and you, you know, put a thing on the board um, about that, and you call it, I forget what kind of theology, you called it if you say that works are involved in any way. And, and I'd like you to elaborate on your position regarding the Augustinian view of sanctification, whereby that grace not only saves us, but changes our actions also, in scripture, such as uh, verses that say, um, you will know them by their works, or um, those type of verses. Uh, I think, Tim, it would not serve the purpose of eschatology to do that at this point. Let me try to relate somewhat to that. How would I tie eschatology into the sanctifying process, rather than explain an Augustinian view, etc., etc., which is more in the area of soteriology. And I wouldn't get to the, the questions we have here. Uh, it is quite obvious in the scripture that when God uses the prophetic word, that regularly he uses it as a means of changing our life today. So that's all I need to know. I don't have to argue with Augustine or anybody else. All I need to go is to 2 Peter chapter 3, 
And he says, seeing that these things shall be destroyed. What manner of persons ought you to be on all holy living and conduct? That's my daily sanctification. So the scripture says repeatedly that my knowledge of what is going to happen should change the way I live in the present. That's sanctification. To relate that to sanctification, it's just a simple word study to see that uh, salvation is used in three tenses in the scripture, past, present, and future. And for me, I have been justified. That is, the penalty for my sin has all been paid. And at the future judgment seat of Christ, I cannot be held accountable by God forensically for even one sin. If, if God were to exact penalty from me for one sin, just one, that'd be the end of his kingdom. For that would demonstrate his unrighteousness. For sin that has been paid for once cannot be paid for again. So I have been saved from the penalty of sin. And that was solely a work of Christ's righteousness. And on my part, the obedience of faith. Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ took care of the penalty of my sin forever. However, God also is preparing me for a future reign. So in my daily life, he takes this one who has life and he disciplines him. And God's discipline of my life is not forensic. It is not legal. It is not punishment. I can never be punished. So God is never seeking to get back at me. You did this to me, therefore I'm going to do this to you. No, he did that to me in Christ. Uh, now today he is developing me. For what? For glorification. Glorification is manifestation. It's a kind of manifestation. Just as Jesus said to the Father, Father, restore unto me the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, what's going to happen to me? I am going to have a new dimension of glory which will grow out of what I have done with this life that he gave to me as a result of the cross during this period of time that I've been a steward of it. So glorification, salvation, which, by the way, has nothing to do with dispensationalism. What I'm talking about is uh, no relation to dispensationalism at all. It's just a, a matter of the study of the term salvation. Anyone, covenant theologian, dispensational theologian, whatever, has got to deal with the three tenses of salvation. 